The podcast you are listening to is part of the Between the Lines Studios Network. To find more great podcasts, please visit www.betweenthelinestudios.com. podcast about CDS's elementary and so the reason that we're going to be doing this is I have been a Sherlock Holmes fan since I was a little tiny girl I love 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 Sherlock Holmes and all of the various incarnations even the bad ones (laughs) well I, I can definitely say that my favorite Holmes is Michael Caine in oh and I'm I'm completely blanking on the title but it was the movie where Watson was the one who solved everything, and oh, Holmes yeah. was the actor mm-hmm. that he hired to to play the detective. Yes, I, I love him. One. So yeah. you know, a bad Sherlock's no, no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I um I was introduced to to that. I was given the complete uh, cases of Sherlock Holmes. I think I was like eleven or twelve. Wow. So that's. Uh, I don't want to say how many years ago that was because <laughs> I, I am a woman at that point in my life. So we'll, right. we'll leave some people with mystery. You're not, you're not that, that much point. Come on. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so the Sherlock Holmes, huge thing for me. I, I actually jumped headlong into the fandom. It was like the beginnings of the internet. And I found out that there's like this great society called the Baker Street Irregulars. You have to be invited in. Isaac Asimov and all these really important people are members of that society. They meet every year in January around Holmes's birthday. And so I just, I fell in love. I got every book that I can. There's been more books written about Sherlock Holmes than Shakespeare. So that's a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just obsessed and I still am. And I just, I love the stories and I love the mythos and... I cried when I read the final problem, you know, it was, it was a big deal for me and it still is. So I was very excited when I heard that CBS was going to do a show, a little hesitant because we've had Sherlock Holmes, Robert Janney Jr. We've had Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch. And I was like, oh, please don't make this another vampire revival. <laughs> and then it's just like, you know, Sherlock Holmes isn't cool anymore. Well, I... It is definitely sort of saturation of mm-hmm. of Sherlock right now, and I mean that that definitely I've seen that several times with different, um, I guess you could say literary works that are in the public domain. Mm-hmm. I was a huge Jane Austen fan, right. and so about five years ago, everything was Jane Austen, and there was good Jane Austen, and then there was bad Jane Austen, and and we. I don't know if there were vampires, but there were zombies. Yeah. That was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So mm-hmm. th- thankfully, we haven't gotten to that point with Sherlock yet. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird, too, because Sherlock is such an iconic character, and he's kind of evolved past even his author. You know, Sherlock is just wildly recognizable and, you know, don on a, on a deer stalker and put a magnifying glass and people go, oh, Sherlock Holmes, you know. And he's such a huge mythos character that it's kind of cool that you can twist and turn and use the character in different ways. And it still works. Like there's Sherlock Holmes in the future. There's Sherlock Holmes fighting aliens. You know, those kind of things all well, I, work. I, I think it goes back to the idea of just the the untapped vastness of what is in the human mind Mm -hmm. because that really he's not he's not a superhero with with radioactive powers or he's not out there using any sort of tools it's just him and his brain right and he has studied and he has worked hard to gain this knowledge and how he applies it and there's a piece of that in, in all of us we're like I could do that right I could if if I apply myself I I will never get to that level, but I could get close. Right. So that I think is one of the reasons that he is such a beloved character is because he's just a man with his brain. Mm-hmm. Very true. 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about the the show, and uh, it was very confusing when it first was announced because so many people thought it was like U.S. version of a British show. It's not any way connected to the Sherlock um, series with Moffat, other than Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Johnny Miller are friends. <laughs> That's about all the connection but you can both, get. Both the actors are British, mm-hmm. so that there we go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, but. You know, for legal like legal purposes, they're not connected. It's not like a revamp. It's not like The Office where we took it and made a new show. Uh, CBS actually has done this several times, and they really like this idea of a female Watson. They've done it twice in the 80s, uh, and it didn't fly very well. But I think this show is showing some promise and will probably be around for a while. Uh, I think CBS has really become the place where you go for sturdy procedural kind of shows, you know, mm-hmm. like N- NCIS and The Mentalist and things like that. Well-crafted procedurals. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. So do you want to read the, um, the Chicago Times Nielsen numbers? Nielsen National Estimates show Elementary winning the 10 o'clock hour with a 3.1 rating, nine shares, and eight in adults 18 to 49 and 13.3 million viewers overall, improving on last season's premiere of The Mentalist and building in demos on its lead-in from Person of Interest. The Johnny Lee Miller-fronted series also held up well in its second half hour, dipping a bit in ratings but maintaining its demo share, a good sign for the 10 p.m. premiere. So a lot of shows, uh, they lose a lot of viewers in the second half hour, which I'm always confused about, like, who watches only half an hour of a show. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm done. Uh, but well, I, I can understand that with a series premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like across the board. Like most TV shows lose people that, in the half hour, second half hour. I mean, unless they're flipping on their DVR and then going to do something else. But I don't know if that would still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this is really good news for Elementary. Yes. I mean, if it made more than The Mentalist did in its same time slot last year, uh, that's that's a pretty good sign. Uh, hopefully, they keep the numbers up if they want to stay on air. <laughs> Yay! Because I'm always for anything that gives me more Johnny Lee Miller. I know. It was so funny because I was reading through all these different articles and seeing which shows they mention him on. Uh, so, you know, some of the bigger publications like, you know, Dexter's Johnny Lee Miller and then other ones are like, you know, this show and this show. And it's very it's really interesting. And I go back to Jane Austen right. and he was in like three different versions of Jane Austen. Right. Novels, uh, serializations. And it was just like, yes, yes, yes. We know he's awesome. <laughs> yep. I just I, you don't know how happy I was because I I tried to stay away from as much spoilers beforehand mm. so I've, I'd seen like one or two trailers but they were all the CBS voiceover guy talking right. about so I had no clue if this was really like Sherlock Holmes in New York and it was an American Sherlock or what they were going with this but he opened up his mouth and his accent came out and I, I was like bouncing on the sofa I was so happy <laughs> Yeah, and that's another funny thing is because American viewers, this is the same. This is, this is true of any British actor or Australian actor who's come to America and done an American voice. They're like, I can't believe he's doing such a fake British accent. And it's like, no, that's that's his accent. I loved it. I I loved that it was. I had seen the pilot at Comic Con, and I think they recut it. Not they didn't add anything or take anything away. I think they just made it tighter as an episode Mm -hmm. and uh one of my biggest um concerns was johnny lee miller is talking the entire episode and they kind of gave some more longer pauses there because it was it was literally him hyperactively talking through the whole episode (laughs) and and there is a fan base for that right um but not as wide as as the the numbers, you know, indicated was was for the show last night. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, the Washington Post gave the episode a B, which is great. Uh, I like that they 
they really want, they really in this um, interview talked about how well Miller Sherlock is in comparison to other Sherlocks. So, you know, there's so many people that have portrayed Sherlock Holmes. I think it's in the numbers in the 200s now of actors. One of the very first silent films was a Sherlock Holmes piece. So everyone has brought this multifaceted character in a different direction. You know, we have Basil Rathbone, we have Jeremy Brett, we have Robert Downey Jr. And, you know, each persona is different. So you can't say, you know, Basil Rathbone is the same as Johnny Lee Miller or anything like that because they all bring something different out of Holmes that you might not have seen before. Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, they they said that Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock is more icy, and I think that was a good description of his Sherlock. And that that is one thing that struck me um, because of the fact that I have been watching Sherlock mm-hmm. and loving it, but it, he is a very distant character right. because of the, the way that they described him in the pilot episode of that. It, it is sort of him against the world right. where with Johnny Lee Miller and elementary, I can see that the fact that he is connecting and he is more vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, especially in the scene where he was, well, I mean, with, with most of his interactions with Joan And in the scene where he confronts the woman who had been strangled but survived. Right. And and you can see the fact that, yes, I've I've gone too far. It's not just a disconnect from the emotion, but he's letting his own passions overrule him. And then he sees, oh, I've made this mistake. This is really, truly wrong. Right. And, And he is emotionally invested in the clients that he's taking on. It's not just the puzzle to be solved. Right. And it's, it's a very fascinating study in how you interpret Sherlock Holmes because there's not a lot of explanation for why Holmes is the way he is in the original stories. It's just this is who he is, and, and Watson's trying to puzzle him out in the, in the very first story, and he can't figure it out. Um, so, you know, you have all these different theories. You know, maybe he is some kind of autistic border spectrum kind of person. Maybe he's just being this way because he's been hurt you know and he's you know it's a it is a very you know there's enough takes that you can be different enough from and and then there is the great theory about the original books in that it was um a woman pretending to be a man right and i was like that which in victorian times um it would be absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. um so that's yeah all, all of these different ways that you can can look at the character and say what what's going on here. Yeah, and I think that again speaks to just his timeliness. Like why Sherlock Holmes mythos has stayed around for so long is because it, he's such a com- complex character, and there's no explanation for why he is what he is. It's just this is what he is, and it leaves so much interpretation and so much scholarly research into it. Like. Like maybe he was a woman or maybe it was a black man or maybe, you know, all of these little clues and, you know, textual smart things that people do with the text. And uh, I think another take, it's like, it's like Shakespeare, you know, you can always bring that into modern day. You can always do something different with those characters because they are so complex and they speak so much to human nature and... Uh, that's part of the reason I love I love watching new versions of Sherlock because there's always something new to be learned. Yep. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot there's a lot of good reviews for the the pilot. Uh, Boston Globe called it a solid procedural. Said you know you really need to divorce it from Sherlock and talk about it as more like The Mentalist or another CBS show. And I think that's what CBS does really well and why they have good solid shows they're not always like the most innovative or crazy shows uh that you can see out there but they have a brand and their shows very much stick to their brand and what they do they do incredibly well yeah they really do and you could tell they did a lot of promotion for sherlock i saw it all over la i saw buses and posters and billboards and you know they did a lot um, I saw almost at the end of every sh- procedural that I watched the, with my, well, my parents watch them. I saw a, an ad for Sherlock in it, or for elementary in it, I should say. Yeah, confused. that's not, 
I, I do the same thing. I watch NCIS and NCSI LA with my, with my parents. And that's one of the things that talking about doing procedurals very well, um, because there is that, that generation in there. Right. And there was even a point um, when my grandmother was still alive and she was watching NCIS with us. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you can have these procedurals and they, they fall into the same category that people like my grandmother's age grew up with in the early days of television and this was how it's done. Right. They're still following that same format, but it's so well executed that it's just drawing people in. And I think the cool thing about shows like NCIS and, and um, CSI they were doing later, later in the show is they realize that people want the humor, they want to know about the characters' lives, and they're bringing more of that into the procedural aspect. Um, and we saw that a lot with this pilot, you know, with the dark stories for, for Joan and for Sherlock about their past. You know, there's going to be a more overarching narrative, I believe, from that, uh, which takes a little step away from procedural where it's just like, here's the characters solving another crime, the end. Um, and I'm very excited about that aspect and finding out what happened uh, with, with this woman that <laughs> in London. Yes. And it better be Irene Adler. I'm going to throw something at the TV. <laughs> um, one of my favorite TV commentators, Maureen Ryan, uh, gave a fairly negative review, but I think some of the things that she said, uh, we'll probably talk about this later, but some of the things that she said about it resonated with me. I one of the things I really missed was feeling the friendship aspect between Watson and Holmes. And I feel like they're moving that way. There's like a respect and a playfulness at the end of the pilot. But I guess it just wasn't that immediate camaraderie that I wanted. Like we're, we're friends. And it's kind of because of the whole um, she's his babysitter, basically, mm-hmm. dynamic that makes it a little harder. Well, I, and, and this goes back to the idea of the original books and the setting that they were placed in. I mean, there was never, it, it, when Watson first came in, it was answering an ad for a flatmate. And because of the fact it was a book, there was sort of those in-between days that we didn't have to see. And it it is Watson writing from a point of view several years after the fact of saying, and this was how I met Holmes. So in any, any relationship, you do have that, that sort of, okay, this is the initial meeting. Are we going to, to work out whether it's a friendship, whether it's something more, whether it's a a, a boss and an employee. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea of, of what they portrayed with that, um, sort of hesitancy towards each other is really true to life. And that was um, one of the things that I actually liked because, of course, in my head, I am comparing it to the other modern-day homes, the BBC Sherlock. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, for that, with their sort of instant camaraderie that they had going on, it was a more pressed run, a very shorter run. So they had to get those things out there, out of the way and move on to just to, to, you know, this is the adventure and we have our homes in Watson and they're, they are the team and they're going full out. But so because of the difference in format, I really, I'm really looking forward to see this more realistic approach to how these two individuals are going to come together and start working as a team. Right. Yeah. And it is interesting. I really think it was genius idea on this part of BBC Sherlock to do a 90 minute episode. And I know that won't fly here in America because we have to have our hour or half hour shows, <laughs> but there well, was just there not was... necessarily because there's been several times with, um, the half hour comedies mm-hmm. where for a, a season premiere, not usually a series premiere, but I've seen this for the season premieres where they will release the, they call them the first two episodes, but they tie in together. And so it is a double length episode that's coming at you for that first day. And that that's, 
completely possible, especially with the, the idea of reality shows that could have a, a shorter time slot if needed. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that American executives should take note of, and it might be something that we start seeing over here. Yeah, because we're just, we're, I, I find, you know, especially with the hour shows, we're just compressing more and more action in, and we don't have the development. So sometimes I'm like, okay, wait, what happened? <laughs> it was like more and more action, and then I, there's not the, the full satisfying emotional or character arcs that you'd want to see. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden you lost your job, and now you're right, driving race cars. I mean, <laughs> okay, I guess we can go with that. Um, But before we move into the episode itself in depth, uh, I wanted to talk about there was some confusion because an interview came out that made it sound like um, Benedict was upset about um, elementary coming out. And there's been some of these like little tiny, I don't know, I don't know if it's newspaper or blog reporters trying to be controversial and get a lot of views or if it just was taken out of context or if people just didn't understand what was going on um but i'll have a link in the show notes but basically um the story came out that benedict had told johnny lee miller basically well i wish you wouldn't do it but i know you have to make money and (laughs) but he he went back to it was a hollywood reporter reported it and he went back to hollywood reporter and said that's that's not what i said here's what i said and he and johnny lee miller are really good friends and He's like, you know, there's so many different Sherlock's. You can't really compare our two shows. Nobody should be comparing our two shows. Um, and that he was really excited about the show itself. So I'll have a link in the show notes uh, over needless drama. <laughs> People like to make up or I don't know. I don't know what happened, but. That, that is the Internet. Yes. If, if, there was, if there was no drama, the Internet would stop working. That's true. Is that it's the it's the fuel that the internet runs on. <laughs> yep. So suffice to say, Benedict supports the show and Johnny Lee Miller, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the pilot episode premiered Thursday night. Watched it, loved it. Um, it was a, a, such a different experience from watching it in Comic Con because Comic Con there's like six of these giant screens and five thousand of your closest friends and. Um, it was kind of hard to hear. And that's one of my minor nitpicky things is I love John Lynn Miller's accent. I love that he's talking fast, but sometimes it's really hard to catch everything he's saying. And it's really easy to get lost uh, very quickly. You're like, wait, wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in the big room at Comic-Con, I missed a lot of the dialogue. and But I enjoyed this. Sh- Overall, I really enjoyed it. I want to see more and that's my my short review of the episode (laughs) yes i i did not go to comic con um i sadly i have yet to go to a convention i am yeah i there is this i don't know whether it's soul sucking money sucking my life is a black hole that is school yes um and for some reason it just everything fun gets just sucked away by school but I have um, been, like I said, I've been been avoiding the spoilers online, but I have seen just the whirlwind of excitement, anticipation over it. And even when the pre-screen hit, I was like, I could watch this. I could watch this a week and a half before the premiere. But I held off. I'm like, nope, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and I'm going to be good. And I was very happy over it, uh, especially because of the fact I did get to watch it with my parents. And I think that joint watching enjoyment uh, sort of in- increased the experience. But I, I did. I, it was a good episode. Yeah, so the, the premise of the, the mystery itself um, was really, it's not anything new, but it was enough twists and turns to keep me guessing the first time I watched it. Um, I really enjoyed the visual aspects of it. You know, her, when you see the body in, in the safe room with the marble and 
just the way that was shot was wonderful. And I looked up, the director is um, somebody whose work I was very familiar with because he worked a lot on Six Feet Under, and he apparently is doing a lot of pilots. He did the pilot for Dexter, um, some other shows that I really love, and it's uh, Michael Kustas? Kustas? I don't know how to say his last name. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but just visually, some of the choices were just beautiful. Uh, that first opening shot with the breaking glasses, I thought was really great. Um, yep. It was, it was memorable. And that, I think that's what you really need in a procedural, is some memorable shots. And, and because going in, knowing that this is a, a crime mystery drama, I mean, there was... I, I, I like to say I, I do like to try and solve the mystery before the, the detectives on TV. Mm-hmm. So my dad and I were throwing around all sorts of scenes. And like you said, the, the opening with the marble and then seeing her body. So it was like, okay, is, is the body placement something important? Is right. the boot something important? And just going on and on. And we just, we, we did, we kept yelling at each other. Why did she have plastic surgery? Right. Why? And so that was, they, the, kudos to the writers because they kept us guessing. And it was just beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I did miss were some of more lines from the original stories. Like, I just wanted... Not that it had to be big, but just have some of those little nods to the original story. And there was a couple of things um, when and it comes later in the episode. So I was like waiting for it. I remember at Comic-Con like waiting for it. I'm like, wait, okay, okay. When is this going to happen? And the, li- the line is um, when they're up on the roof with the bees, uh, Sherlock says that he's working on a, a, a book about the segregation of the queen bee and I was like, yay, that's finally a reference. And it's kind of strange because um, Sherlock takes up, in the original story, Sherlock Holmes takes up beekeeping when he retires. Mm-hmm. And he actually has written, a, they call it a monograph uh, about, the, you know, with the same title. And so that was kind of interesting that he's doing it now while he's still working basically. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's keeping the whole manuscript in his head. Right. Um, I, I try to write stories in my head. It's like, you know, all of the ideas come to you when you're driving or mm-hmm. something. And then like, oh, this is a brilliant piece of, of dialogue. I need to remember it so I can go home and I can get it written down. And it, it can be, I could be in the car. I could be downstairs in the kitchen. And by the time I come upstairs to get my notepad, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's writing a book in, in his head, I just, I loved that. I, I think, you know, there was some, there was some disconnect for me, uh, and I'm going back to Maureen, there was some disconnect for me with Holmes and the Holmes from the stories, just because it felt really strange, some of his, the choices that they made. Um, it fits more with the Sherlock Holmes that kind of really perpetuated in the 60s and the 70s, that kind of character where mm-hmm. he, you know, he's a, a heavy addict, he has sex, he, you know, all of these different things. Um, and it fits more with that Holmes. And I'm not a huge fan of that era of Holmes. <laughs> but there was times where I was like, okay, this is my Holmes. And it was when he was standing in front of all of those monitors, looking at all of them. Um, and then he recites the dialogue and you realize that he was predicting what the, the actor on the TV show was going to say. Um, and then it was the, the manuscript in my head that, uh, and the glasses when he says that there was two broken glasses. And he pulls it out of the, from under, what it was like, under the fridge yep. or something like that? Yep, but b- because he knew the, the volume of glass that come from, right. come from, from the mm-hmm. volume of broken glass that would come from one. And that, I mean, that was one of the things that, reading the stories when I was 11, 12, um, it was the fact that, you know, he was studying these, he would watch paint dry and, and know the different complexities of this and he knew that, and and clay, right. And oh, well, the 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 killer had to come Mm -hmm. from this part of England because the, the dirt that he knocked off was like this. Right. Um, the, the, the drug addiction, 
that was fine. I mean, the sex is like, no, homeless doesn't have sex. Mm-hmm. But the drug addiction, um, I'm, I'm fine with because that was one of the things that my dad sort of warned me about when he gave me the books. He's like, now you need to understand that he's a drug addict. And I was like, because before this point, that was sort of a sheltering with the books that I got. And, mm. and I was like, okay. Was like, so you go in, but if you've got any questions, feel free to come to me, but you need to start reading Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, so the fact that uh, of the drugs, but I always saw that as more of, of something that he did sort of like his violin playing, it was something that he needed when he didn't, couldn't get the mental stimulation through a case. When life was, when life got boring, that's when he turned to opium. Um, So the idea of, of it being a woman of some sort of reaction to his environment of just, oh, I, I don't want to feel something. Mm Mm-hmm. That that seems off to me. So I'm really I'm I'm sort of hoping that it's not a woman. Well, um, and I I'm wondering if it's you know if it's even a a true addiction because there was you know there was some references where you know I'm off of it I I don't need it and I think he's being completely honest with like this was just a thing. So I'm wondering if it's kind of like a fake out like there wasn't really an addiction. It was some kind of I don't know play for this woman or, you know, I'm thinking of like some kind of giant scam (laughs) to help the woman, you know, kind of like the Irene Adler, she's a a bad lady um, kind of thing, angle. But, you know, that's my hoping. But I do like that since, you know, that does does give us a reason for for Joan to move in with him and not be in a sexual relationship with him. Um, And that does give us some really cool moments, like when she swabs his mouth and he's still talking <laughs> yep <laughs> so it's it's an interesting choice uh the tattoos and and the scruffiness i think are an interesting choice too he's not as classically uh beautiful uh, upper class mm-hmm. upper think. class yeah he's not yep. that which is funny because another thing that's really different than the stories is holmes has a dad and traditionally there's been no mention of Sherlock Holmes's parents in any of the stories or re-imagining of them. Yeah. One of my thoughts was the idea that um, they would take the character of Mycroft who in the books was his brother Mm -hmm. and turn that into the father character. Yeah. Um, So I, because we never heard a first name for the father. Right. So um, that's, that's one of the things that I'm wondering is, instead of having two brothers who are both immensely intelligent and wonderfully good at observation um, in the books, Mycroft to the point where he didn't actually have to observe anything. You could just come with him to the problem and, and he would solve it for you. Right. Uh, making it a father who had sort of these same things. And so that's, that's one of my, my theories. I have no, I'm probably so off base. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, that's that. I was wondering if that might be the way they were going, or or it is Mycroft, and they just have this setup where you know he's his father, so he can give him money. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. It they they left open a lot of of storytelling aspects with that, and plus it's it it gives us the logical reason why Sherlock can just run around all day and solve crimes and not really work for anybody, because he's being funded by his rich dad, basically. Even if it is the worst apartment of the <laughs> however many properties he owns. In right. York, it's, it's still pretty nice. It's, it's still New York. I mean, it's still pretty expensive, even the worst place in New York City. <laughs> and now, just because you, you keep mentioning Irene Adler, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm... You know, my, my brain is percolating while we're talking because that's what happens when you talk to other people who enjoy your interests. Your right. brain just starts spinning off. That's why we do podcasts, I, people. <laughs> yes. Um, Irene Adler was an opera singer who yes. was born in New Jersey. Right. I, it would have been so awesome if we find out, you know, like at the, the end of the season that she was actually one of the, the women singing on stage at the oh. opera last night. That would be really cool. 
That that would be so awesome. Because I thought the opera was a weird, was such a weird addition. Like it was really funny when he was there and he interrupted it and you know was talking and. Uh, You're not even on key. Right. <laughs> it was a it was a fun, like but I was like okay why the opera we could have done that at a play we could have done that on Broadway I mean we're in New York City. Um, why the opera? Well, that's what you do when you go to New York City. You go to the opera. Ah, okay. <laughs> I've only been to New York I've City been, once. <laughs> I, I've, I've been several times. And the, fir- the first time I did, it was to the opera to see Carmen. Mm. And it was gorgeous. I mean, that's just... Broadway is great, but there is something about the Met that just overawes your senses. Yeah. So... But, but I thought that might be they might be leading up to something, uh, and I hope they I hope they do. Uh, of course, this might be a pilot that we shot in New York, and now the rest of the episodes are in LA, so that might be a little harder to go back to. Because that's what they did with Castle; is they shot the pilot in New York City, and now everything else is in LA. Sorry to spoil it for you, TV viewers. We're not yep. always where we're supposed to be <laughs> when we film things. <laughs> Why does L.A. and New York and Houston look so much like Toronto? Right. There's a, my favorite my favorite thing about that, and I'm I'm jumping off of elementary for a minute. Is a there's an episode of of Supernatural where they go to Hollywood, and they film in Canada, and he's like, "Why is it so cold?" Because I don't know. It feels like Canada. <laughs> and it's just like a nice nod to the fact oh. that that they don't film in L.A. But yeah, I I really enjoyed the pilot. Um, Some of my, I also, one of my other favorite things is that the police weren't bumbling idiots in this show. They were, they were very smart and very on key. Uh, They're just, and they just need help. And that's what Sherlock should be. He should be the person who's the outside influence. He doesn't have to have the job of being a police officer. And I think a lot of times, we forget that the job part of being a police officer makes police officers unable yep, to because do. It, it isn't all about solving crime. It's right. about filling out the reports and getting this filed and, and waiting for the warrant to come through. Right. And all of that wonderful, just procedural, boringly kind of. uh, things. And you also are dealing with, you know, however many cases that might come through. And yeah, we need to be focusing on this, but oh, this is also happening and we need to hand here. And whereas Holmes is that one just focused element saying, this is all I'm looking at and I don't have to worry about paperwork and I don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. So I was, I was pleased with that because a lot of the different various incarnations of Sherlock Holmes, the police are just morons. And you're like, well, not all police are morons. (laughs) That was with the, the, Robert Downey Jr. movies that came out, mm-hmm. um, Inspector Lestrade, they just, I was like, no, 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 why does he have to be so stupid? He doesn't have to be so stupid. He was better no. in the second one, though. I will say yes. that. He was much better in the second one. Uh, but yes, Lestrade and Gregson and uh, there's a bunch of other, there are there are certain police in the original stories that the homes say are better than the other ones because they're willing to apply themselves a little more. They're not in the, the drudgery of everyday police work. Um, but, you know, it's not that they were dumb. And he, I, mean, I don't think he's ever treated anybody like they're dumb. They're just not as brilliant as Holmes. And one of the things with the original stories was it was also set in a time when police work really was changing. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, before that, everything really was sort of a village life. And if you were one of the the constables of the area, you knew everyone. Right. And it was, okay, here's a dispute. They say this is his sheep. This man says it's his. Was it? And no, I know that because of the fact I've, I've been walking through the farms for forever. I know that there's this one spot where sheep can wander over. So mm-hmm. no, it's actually his sheep. But all of a sudden, with the advent of the railroad, and with the cities suddenly becoming so much larger and having such an influx from the outer 
villages of these people who were looking for money because the farms weren't supporting them anymore, you had stranger on stranger crime. Right. And there, there were these things where you didn't know the people involved. You'd never seen these sort of crimes before. And the way that you went about solving them really had to change. Right. And so that's what Holmes was in the original stories. He was that sort of catalyst for change in how police pursued crime. And there was a big influx. This is, you know, this is a very scientific era of, you know, in Victorian Edwardian times was, you know, what, how do we solve this with science? And of course there's all these crackpot theories. Like, um, they did a lot of the way your brain was, you know, the way your head was shaped, it determined if you were a criminal or not. And, you know, just all these weird theories. Um, oh, when Jack, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, and it's something like phrenology or yeah. something. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably going to get emails saying, oh, no, that's no wrong. <laughs> but the idea of, of where the bumps on your head are. Right. Corresponding. And of course, to your moral, case, to your moral yep. aptitude and our lack of. Or even what you will be in the future. Right. Uh, because that, with that, there's always the story about one of these practitioners who was making a tour of the, U- of the U.S. and, um, he found, he was at a stop in some little town and this boy came up and he was just making things up. And he said, and one day you, Ulysses S. Grant will be president of the U.S. (laughs) And it came true. And that's why, I mean, for, for a long time, this, this area where U.S. Grant was born was just staunchly believed in this practice because That man predicted that that Grant was going to become president, and right. he did. And he did. So there you go. Um, another thing that they did was uh, during Jack the Ripper case, they would photograph the victim's eyes because they thought that the image, the last image you saw, would be within your eye, which was kind of you know it's kind of a cool idea, kind of you know not true, but uh, the way they just thought of the they thought of the eye like a camera. And, of course, you'd, you'd retain it if you were a camera. <laughs> you'd retain the last thing you saw. And uh, that that's even carried on into science fiction. I mean, I've mm-hmm. read recent stories where the idea more of the brain being a hard drive. Right. But still, the last thing you see, the last page you accessed, being able to, 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 to be pulled from the hard drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... It's one of those things that sort of carries with us as we go on that, you know, folklore that we can never quite get rid of. (laughs) And so that's why if you read the original story, Sherlock does a lot of studies. He does studies in how tobacco ash looks, how off, how, how close you can tell if something like a stain is blood or not. You know, that's a big thing for him. Um, All of these different things. That's why he, when we're in the original story, we meet, Holmes, he's in the, he's at St. Bart's, which is the place where you would do research like that. And I, I, I would like to see more of that with the, the new Sherlock Holmes, like any new updated ones to have those kind of things. And you kind of see it in, in Sherlock. Um, but then I was like, well, how much of that can you actually do? Because we figured all this stuff out. We figured out fingerprints. We figured out DNA. We figured out. <laughs> yeah. So we just have to think of what's the new, what's the new thing that can help. Um, and it's just fascinating to me, those, those kind of things and forensics and the real science behind things. Um, it's just, again, like we were saying, I think that's why Sherlock has lasted so long is he was the forefront. He was like the grandfather of crime solving the, with people that you don't know, basically. <laughs> Yeah, as long as it doesn't involve sheep, then that's what he was doing. Right. <laughs> there was a pig, though, in one of the experiments. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so great episode. I think, I think the ending uh, really sold me uh, with the baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really set up the the kind of the tone of them being together and and having this relationship where they're living together. Um, and solving crimes and and I really like the fact that you know he 
he understood baseball. Yep. Uh, you know, because that goes against the stereotype of he's British, so he doesn't know. <laughs> well, it's it's the difference between understanding the game and enjoying the game. Right. I understand baseball. I I have never sat through an entire baseball game in my whole life because I find it incredibly boring. Right. Um, but I also feel the same way for football and basketball and most sports. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand them, just, but I will say that the baseball game um, was one of the things that I also, so another little layer to Joan's character, mm-hmm. because it's not, oh, she's just this, this woman who was a surgeon and, and went to the opera, but she's also, yeah, come on, Mets, let's go, woo, right. and, and really, they're her they, team, and so she wasn't just the high class um, sort of woman that to, to play against she has those levels yeah. and I was very glad for that that really humanized her for me because I was having problems connecting to her character until that moment like she was she was she was beautiful she was kind of distant um, you know her reactions are are very minimal to things mm-hmm. and I love that about Lucy Liu she has great very minimal expressions but they're still there like, you, you can tell when she's surprised. It's not like her whole face changes. It's just like her eyes or something like that. Um, but it was hard for me to connect to her and relate to her. But when she, we, she had the baseball cap on, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's just normal. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, up until then, you see she's very structured. You know, she has her two alarms. She jogs. She goes to work. Um, yep. And that's about the level of it. She's, she's doing her job is what you get. Um, and of course that changed at the end. She loves, she loves her job now. <laughs> but as, as someone who is sort of a natural, um, I guess slob would be the right word for it. Mm-hmm. D- disorganized individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have two alarms because even on days where I don't have to go to work, just the idea of no bed is nice and right. warm. Why should I leave bed? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those, you, you have to be incredibly structured or everything just falls into chaos. Right. So with the two alarms, I was that, that's where I was relating to her. I was like, okay, this is, yeah, <laughs> I get what sort of a person she is. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it was a fun episode, and I'm sure uh, a lot of our listeners had thoughts and comments, and they can email them to us at betweenlinestudios.com or reply uh, on our page. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about this episode? Johnny Lee Miller is <laughs> wonderful. And even if it's a bad episode, it's still Johnny Lee Miller on my TV. Right. So yay. Yay. Thank you, casting directors. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and I want to give a, a quick shout out to the executive producer who wrote this episode, Robert Doherty. Um, I recognize his name on a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, he worked on True Calling uh, with Eliza Dushku. So he's got some geek cred, guys. So check him out on IMDb. I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, but the panel with him was great, and you can find it on YouTube if you want to watch it. And uh, I didn't mention, because I, it's such a non-issue for me, that I was not. I was a little concerned about the Holmes as female, or Watson as female uh, aspect, just because I don't want this to be... Will they kiss any minute now? They're going to kiss. <laughs> well, and I think so that, they did a good was, job making it That not. was a non-issue for mm-hmm. me, too, because even with, I mean, we, we can look at Sherlock, and the whole fandom behind that is, will they kiss? Will right. they kiss? So right. it's, I, I, the slash has always been there. Her turning her female, it's not going to make it any different. Right. Well, um, I think it was more the will they, won't they, like, you know, with Sherlock, it's just like it's like a wink to the audience, um, and I didn't want it to be like a yes, this is what it is. You know, there's <laughs> a difference between sub- subtlety and yes. <laughs> well, I, see, and, and we could get into a completely different podcast here. I, I should come over to the Sherlock podcast and argue with you guys. Um, I think in that the the last episode of Sherlock, where it's like okay. And now we're going to hold hands. 
But then they went through and they made sure to get it with every single character that he had ever, even like anyone ever had thought of. And but it was just like, now we're going to hold hands and run. Right. And I'm just like, yep, here we go. <laughs> we didn't need that, but okay. But, you know, it was, at least it was a practicality thing. They were handcuffed together. <laughs> like it was, it was one of those moments. I don't want, I just don't want to like a moonlight kind of. Yeah. Well, they won't. They well, they won't. They. That's what ruined Lewis and Clark for me. I love that show, <laughs> Lewis and Lewis. And oh, Clark. that was an awesome show. It was such an awesome it show. Was. But there was like four seasons of, no, we're not getting married. Yes, we're getting married. No, we're not getting married. <laughs> and and then they got married, and she got replaced by a frog clone. And right. So <laughs> uh, frog clone. Frog clone. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was one of those things that sticks with you. Right. You'll never forget Frog Loan. <laughs> All right, well, that's it from us. We'll be back next week with more about elementary. And we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Okay, so, well, then I am... I have seen the episode and I have thoughts and feelings and opinions. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, and my cat is deciding to change all of my settings on my computer. Stop that. <laughs> I just figured it was the instrumental portion of the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm over here doing an interpretive dance. Oh, thanks. Grr. Gah! Yay, me.